Father, this morning we come to you, Lord. We just thank you, Father. A week back, we were in your presence, entering into the new year. And already seven days are over. We are here on the eighth day, Father. And I do believe, Lord, you are faithful to your promise. You have started the work of restoration in every life. You are always faithful. Now, Father, I pray we will be faithful to your word, to your spirit, to the promise. Help us not to be a hindrance to your work, but to flow with the spirit. For your word says, the wind blows where it pleases. Help us to blow, bend to the wind, and not resist. For you said, Lord, in your word, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. But if you resist and disobey, the sword will devour you. Help us to be willing and to be obedient to your spirit. In this morning we pray, Spirit of God, come, Lord. Teach us. Teach us and empower us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So here we are. And all my Jesus duties, where are the rest? No, you can't say you have class. I know it's government has declared holidays for everybody. Boys, I can say they are a little far off. But girls are walkable distance only. So where are the wonderful ladies? I shall, I shall meet them. Yeah, I know, I know, I saw three. I know there are three, three, four, five, I think six. So four are missing. Four are missing. The shepherd shall go looking for the missing sheep. But I don't know whether he has a rod or a staff in his hand. <laughs> okay. You know, one of the things with children, with children is that, uh, what children needs to learn first is what your duty is. You won't learn many things, you may not even understand much of what is being preached or what is being told at home by your parents. But one of the first things the child has to learn or to be taught is, this is your duty. It's the right thing. Just do it. Later you will understand. Okay? Later it will understand. Like when we were looking at prayer, and we will be looking at prayer today, we see the first thing that Jesus was taught by his father, what not, how to pray. It is the discipline of prayer. Morning by morning you awaken to me. The discipline is first. There's no point giving an anointing to a person who is not disciplined like Saul, the very anointing will destroy him. God says that he does not pour new wine into old skin bags, okay, or put a patch of new cloth on a old. So the children have to be taught, this is your duty, this is, this is what you need to do, okay, this is what you need to do. That's all. 
You don't need, they don't need to sit there and explain counseling. They won't even understand what you, but they will understand the part of discipline. The discipline is like the, the skeleton that Ezekiel sees in that valley. The bones come together. But if the bones don't come together, there's no point prophesying over it. The flesh will come later. So discipline is the bones. So children need to know and say, like, today is a holiday, today is a Saturday. I know what my duty is. I know what is expected of me. I'm expected to be in the house of God. Okay? That is how it works. And that's what God first looks at. God looks at first, do you know your duty? Do you know what is expected of you? When you're faithful to what you're expected of you, the unexpected happens in your life. God comes with the unexpected. So this morning, we are back with Joel 2 and verse 25. So I will restore. Okay? Keep that in mind. Through the year, we'll keep bringing you back to this. Okay? Through the year, through the days, I will restore to you the years. If you look at the pattern of God, right from the book of Genesis, when he deals with man, like he deals with man, you will see one of the ways of God is that we try to make things easy for God, but God wants it to be difficult so that he can prove who he is to us. He's a mighty God. God doesn't like uh, solving simple maths. Okay? He wants to do this impossible task so that they will realize how easy it is for him so that we can put our trust in him and walk with him. So with Abraham, he brings them to the point where it is impossible for them to have a child and says, next year you will have a kid. And they, actually Abraham laughs, she also laughs, both of them laugh. But ultimately they were holding laughter in their hands. Amen. That's why what they, Isaac is called laughter, okay? So the same thing with, uh, with, uh, Israel getting out of Egypt. You see God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Moses went there, turned water into blood, Pharaoh said go. He didn't do that. Okay, he made it so difficult. And then brought them out just like that. Okay. And then when he, he took them on a long route, brought them where it was impossible for them to escape. The Red Sea before them, no way out. Pharaoh's army behind them. And then he said, just stretch your rod. So we need to realize that is how it is with God. With God. Okay. The impossible. So he begins with the impossible. It is impossible for man to get his ears back. Everything, almost everything else you can get it back. Honestly, you can actually get it back. Almost most things in life with effort, with energy, with money, you can get it all back. To a certain level you can. One thing you can never get back is the time lost cannot be get back. So God begins with the difficult, the impossible. So if he's faithful to the impossible, what is he to the possible? Okay, that is how we have to look at it. He says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. So the distinction between God and the devil is very clearly made in John 10 and verse 10. He says, the thief does not come except, very clear, the thief's agenda is, he comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. Christ, on the other hand, comes that we may have life, and not only just life, 
abundantly. That life is the name of our little one over there called Zoe, which means the overcoming life. The life that overcomes every obstacle. The impossible life. He comes to make it available to us. God's life. Okay. What does the devil come to do? He comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. So if you turn to Hosea and chapter 4 and verse 6, how does the devil destroy? He cannot just come in and destroy you. He has different ways and methods of doing it. One of the ways he does it is, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. The knowledge of God. How does he steal? He keeps us from knowing God's ways. Who God is. That's how he keeps. And if you look at let's be very, very honest about it. Okay? Very, very honest about it. I can be absolutely honest about it that when I was growing up after coming to know the Lord, for years the struggle always was to be interested in the things of God. We didn't struggle. I mean... If somebody said, hey, the latest movie has come, let us go. I, would, I did never say, told them, let me fast and pray and ask. The simple question is, first show or second show? <laughs> you never, I know, you never ever struggled with the things of the flesh, the things of the world. It came so easily. They say easily. But the things of eternity. We will realize we struggle and we need to realize there is a spiritual block. There is an enemy. And the enemy keeping us from something, you know, that if the people who are sitting over here, if the enemy can keep you from knowing the truth about God, you are destroyed. You are destroyed. You are destroyed. He knows that. So we need to understand these things and fight it. Fight it. And after some time, you will start liking the things of God. Things of God. Okay. So please remember, lack of what? The knowledge of God, the ways of God, the heart of God, the power of God. Okay. Who God is. And the, one of the principles Ways or assignments of the devil is to blind us to who God is. That's what the Bible says. The ruler of this world has blinded the eyes of people. I mean, if people were to really, really see who God is. God is. And the consequences of not choosing God. And the blessings of choosing God. Everybody would choose. Everybody would choose. But the enemy has blinded Therefore, we do not seek the knowledge of God. We have a promise. Okay? But please remember, your life or my life will not change by default. We have to pursue and understand the ways of God. And obey the ways of God. We have to follow and we have to persevere. It doesn't happen by default. There is no default setting in the man where he says he automatically will know God. There is a desire put in it, but we have to follow that desire. It won't happen. You have a promise, that doesn't mean it will automatically happen. In that case, last year everybody should have been stretched, but many shrank. Many shrank. 
It is like that pure cotton they sold you. And then after the first wash, <laughs> yeah, it became a hanger. Your dhoti became a hanger. Hmm? So ask, where is the dhoti where you work last week? In my pocket. <laughs> These things don't happen by default. God is faithful. So we don't have to worry about, is God faithful? He's true, he's faithful. But like I said, almost every promise in the Bible is conditional. There are unilateral promises. We don't have to worry about it. Surely I will come back again. We don't have to worry. He will come back. What is in my hand, our hand is the capacity to make it faster. The bride has the power to hasten his coming. That's all. There are many things. I will pour out my flesh, my spirit on all flesh. That's unconditional. The condition is I should be ready to receive it. He will pour out. These things cannot be stopped. Even if there are 100 million people and only 120 is prepared, he will pour it on them. Oh, only 120, why should I will wait? No, God poured it upon the 120 who were ready. Okay, 120. So we have to be prepared for it. So these things don't happen by default. Okay. So we have to seek. He said, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. We have to seek. We have to pursue. We have to follow. Above all, put him first. The way to find him is putting him first. So my people are destroyed by lack of knowledge. Now let me tell you something about this knowledge of God. Another term for that in the Bible is God is light. Now we are all able to see each other because there is light. We put on the artificial light over here and the natural light outside. It is dim. We will still see each other. Where the light increases, we see better. Knowledge is like light. Ignorance is like darkness. Let me tell you the good thing about light. It does not matter how long a room was dark. One day, one week, one month, one year, ten years. When the light comes, the light comes. The room that was dark for 10 years, when the light comes, darkness doesn't say, I was here for a long time. Please give me time to back up. Now we are talking about the knowledge of God, the power of God, the light of God. So it does not matter if you see. Jesus will say, these are all signs. You could be ill for a day like Peter's mother-in-law. You could be ill for 12 years. You could be bent over by 18 years, or you could be a cripple for 38 years, but when it comes, everyone gets up and walks. So we need to understand what the knowledge of God can do to you. Okay? What the, that's how it is restored. A man whose life had been written away for 38 years is walking now, just getting his time back. Getting it back. A woman was bent over for 18 is walking straight back home. She's getting her ears back. How did it happen? It happened because God came into the picture. Okay? In Luke, remember a long time ago we looked. Jesus was preaching. And the word of God says the power of the Lord was there to heal everybody. Only one got healed. Only one got healed. The power of God is here even today. 
Every time when you pray or when you are listening to your prayer, your amen should be an amen from your heart. Yesterday we were praying and we were prophesying and there were people receiving the gift of the interpretation of tongues. They were not satisfied with tongues. And I get tickled pink when they send me back my interpretation. God hasn't given it to me. Okay. And they're just sitting there and believing. They believe. Okay. Believe it. My wife always asks, why does it happen in our church? I said, because they're too familiar with me. They said they confuse the vessel with the power. But all those who are around listening, they're not familiar with me. So to receive God's word as God's word. That's what Paul says in Thessalonians. When we came and preached the word of God, you received it as the word of God and not as the word of men. And therefore, it has the power to work in those who believe. Okay. Familiarity can be a block. So Nazareth did not receive anything from Jesus, though he was God. Because he was born in their midst, grew up in their midst, and they thought he was the carpenter's son. Okay, so be very careful. Keep this thing. When you come over here, like I say, when I preach from here, unless you are distracted, I don't see you. I don't see you. I'm not looking at who is listening. I don't see you. I don't see you as individuals. Unless I know you are distracted, then I will sometimes have to think for a minute and get your name and call you. Okay, in the same way when you come, you don't see me. You don't see me. You ask, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Speak to me. It doesn't matter who is behind the pulpit, Lord. I know I have come into your house and you have a word for me. And you come with like that into the house of God. Even a blind prophet like a priest like Eli can birth a Samuel in your womb. It doesn't matter who that man is. Does not matter who the man is. You have to come like that. Then God will speak to you. Because when he speaks, it is light. And that light you receive will change your time. Restoration begins. Okay? We'll look further. So the way back is, remember, the enemy cannot stop God. But he can stop us from believing. And stop us from obeying. And we know from Psalm 78, unbelief shortens the hand of God in our life. God's hand is not shortened. It is shortened in our own lives. Okay? So, please remember, when God says he will restore, and he does anything, and the promise is there, and we have to pursue that promise, please remember, it won't be easy in the beginning. It will actually get difficult. Why will it get difficult? Because the devil also heard the promise. It's not that God spoke. We heard. He also heard. Now he has to steal. That you don't believe that promise. He has to kill that promise in you. Kill that promise in you. He's not going to sit idle. He's not going to sit and idle. So it is a battle. That's why faith is called a battle. I have fought, he says. That good fight of faith. It's a good battle. It's a battle. So you need to be that. Okay? It doesn't happen just like what we said. Let's look at a few of these things. Okay?
Moses went to Pharaoh and said, set my people free. The God of the Hebrews has appeared to me, our God, and said, let my people. Pharaoh said, who is your God? I don't know your God. Then he called all his captains and said, these people are very lazy. Tell them to make bricks. Same number, same quota, but no straw. They have a promise. Your deliverance is near. And instead things got so bad. So bad. It didn't get better. It got worse. Look at what happens. The task matters. The Hebrews, let us say supervisors, under whom the slaves worked, they came out of Pharaoh, met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them, and they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Okay, look at that. What happens over there? They change. Look at verse 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. He's also confused. He thought, I will just go over there, let my people go. And Pharaoh will say, oh, I was waiting for you all these years. Please come, take your people and go. God says, I will send the former ray and the latter ray. And the devil comes and says, I will help you. Okay, what is this? What has happened? What has happened? So he goes back to God. Listen to what God says. Okay, God says. He doesn't make it easy in the beginning. If you turn to chapter 6, you will see what God says. Therefore say to the children of Israel, you will read that portion, you will see six I will, he will do. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egyptians. I will rescue from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a great judgment. Actually, you can put one more. I will with great. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give it to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Seven I will are there. Not six, seven. God says, I will do it. I will do it in such a way that you will never ever in your history forget I am who I am. That's the whole idea. You will never be afraid of the enemy anymore. You will not be scared. Seven evils, he says, which he will do. Okay. But look at the people's response. Verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of the anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. He said all these seven evils didn't make any because down in their heart they were depressed, discouraged because of the slavery of Egypt. And which is true in today also. If you look people, no, very rarely do people come back from their workplaces cheerful. New slave masters have risen. They call MNCs. And the burden of working under them. Working under them. Whichever, whichever way you are working. Even if you are a housewife, 
That's a term, housewife, okay, wife, house, okay, home wife, housewife, okay, whatever. If you're a housewife, if your husband is not a man of God, then you're also working under a yoke. How do children go to school and how do they come back? They have this mountain on their back. <laughs> Honestly, if you look over there, who's really, really free in the spirit? So you can come and give them a promise. I will restore you all the years I've eaten. But they are so weighed down by the cares of life, as God says. The cares of life. They don't heed. They did not heed to Moses. Okay, so look at all these things and you will see there is a cord in your heart. Even as you heard the promise, seven days are over, you are on the eighth day, you will realize the promise is there. And there is this overwhelming burden in your inner man. So God says, don't give up. Don't, don't give up. Because it gets darker before it gets brighter. That's why these three words in the Bible God uses. One is endurance. The other is perseverance. The third is patience. Endurance means to stand under. However the weight, Lord, let me not break. Let me learn to stand under. Perseverance is, Lord, however the weight, I keep on moving under that weight. Patient is that in the middle of it, I remain calm. We need these three things. Okay, these are, in, these are incredible virtues in the last days. I will endure. I will persevere. And I will be patient. You look, these three things Jesus uses, the apostles uses over and over again. And people, when they are not able to handle it, what will that? Either they give in, go into depression, or they compromise and go into the world. Because always there is this fellow who is a he's a thief. But he doesn't come and steal like that. He's the fellow who gives you bronze for your gold. Bronze is cheap, but it shines. That's how he steals. He doesn't come and take anything away to you. He didn't just come and steal from Adam and Eve. He gave them hope. You will become like God. Okay. So be very careful. What does he do? He will always give an easy way out in the world. Easy way of the world where it is very easy. Whenever things come easy in life, be very wary. Easy come, easy go. Okay, Be very wary when things come easily. Be wary. Because when uh, Jonah wanted to go to Tarsus, everything was very easy. Okay. Okay. So be very, very careful about it. That's how we will, how we will set you up. And that's how the devil came and tried to set Jesus up in that wilderness. He said, you know what? Why do you have to go through the cross and do all this, what your father is talking about? Hey, come on, yeah. We know, we both know God well, right? You don't have to go this way. It's a very difficult way. I have an easy way for you. Easy way. You want power, authority? I also can give it to you. You want power? You want authority? All these nations are mine. I can give it to you. I can show you an easy way. Okay? So be very, very careful. Either you will break under the pressure 
and say, nothing works. What are the point of all these promises? You become a Gideon, depressed man, where our whole angel comes and says, mighty man of God. And he says, what? Our forefathers told all these things, nothing is happening. Depressed, discouraged. It's like that. We need a pool. Remember that donkey? Talks like Eeyore. Talks like Eeyore. Or, easy way out. Be careful about these two solutions. So, restoration. How does it happen? What is my part in it? What is your part in it? Our part. We never have to question God's part. He's always faithful. We have to check what is that I need to do. Go to First Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace. There are two things we need in life. One is grace. That's the very power of God. Second thing, when you are doing things, we need peace. Otherwise, it will be guilt and condemnation. We don't want guilt and condemnation. We want peace. We want grace and peace. Two things God offers. And you will actually realize in life, these are the only two things you actually need. Okay, Even joy is optional, though it comes freely. But we need peace. We need peace. And we need grace to get things done. And it is multiplied, huh? Through the knowledge of God. Knowledge of God. This is not the knowledge about God. This is the knowledge of God. How does God function? What does God want me to do? A simple, what is the knowledge of God? Practical. What do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do today? That is the knowledge of God. That is for which grace is given. Okay. And when you have the grace of God to do what God wants you to do, you know what? You have absolute peace, even if you see no results. Because you know the results are in his hand. His grace did it through me. I have obeyed. You have peace about it. And the result will come according to God's timing. Now, tomorrow, whenever it is. You are not worried about the result. So these two things. And how does it happen? The knowledge of God. Look at verse 3. His divine power. Another word for grace. His divine power. The power of the Holy Spirit has given to us. Already given. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Again, how? Through the knowledge of Him who caused us by, called us by glory and virtue. And verse 4. How do we appropriate it? We appropriate it by this thing. We have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. And we have been given an extremely great and precious promise for this year. I will give you the time you lost. That was eaten by the thief. I allowed the thief to come in because you disobeyed or you are ignorant. You didn't pursue me. You didn't seek me. You disobeyed knowingly, unknowingly. I allowed that locust to come in and eat it all up. Now I am promising you, I will restore. I will restore. Okay. So we have this promise. Joel 8 and verse 25. I will restore. It is right over here, so it's very easy to see it. Okay? The simple question to ask is we are on the 8th day. How many will be on the road to restoration on day 30? Still on the road. At the end of 3 months, how many will be even more have progressed on that road after 3 months? How many of us would be like, say, I am on the way after 6 months? And how many of us will be able to look back at the end of the year and say, God was faithful and he did it. He did it. How many of us will be on the road is the question. 
Okay. Five months, six months, ten months, twelve months, eight months. It's good. We started on first early morning and we are seven days later on the eighth day to take it. In seven days, has your life radically changed from last year? For me, radically changed. Like never before in my 30 years or 30 plus years of knowing God. This year radically changed because I was waiting for a promise like this. Will you give me back the years I lost? Will you really, really? I believe you. I don't doubt you. I believe you. Tell me what I have to do. Tell me what I have to do. Okay. Solution is there in the same book. It's there in the entire Bible. But Joel chapter 1 and verse 14 says, Consecrate a fast. Okay. Set yourself to a year of as God leads, tells you, you will fast. Because we have a person. Unlike the Old Testament, we don't have to have certain periods of the year, calendar and all. We are not talking about corporate fast like we did for 21 days in the church. Personal fast is what I am talking about. He will tell you. We have a person right there who will tell us. Gather the elders, leave that aside, okay, and cry out to the Lord, into the house of the Lord. We are the house of, personally, I am the house of God. Corporately, we are the house of God. So, as the house of God, we can, we can become the house of God. The first thing told is, cry out to God. What is that simply? Pray. Cry out. All prayer is not crying out, but all crying out is prayer. Okay? Cry out to God. Again, like I said yesterday, you can never grow higher than your prayer life. A man of God, a woman of God. And he uses the term man of God, woman of God. Don't think pastor. No. All sitting here are men of God, women of God, children of God. Can never grow higher than his prayer life. The first thing that has to change radically in our life this year is our prayer life. Has to radically change. And God is there for you and for me. But you have to make that choice. If you make the choice, God is for you. He is for me. Because what is real prayer? Real prayer seeks to hear from God. The entire purpose of prayer is that you have to hear from God. If you haven't heard from God, then it is pointless. But I'm not going to stop. I will endure that silence. I'll endure that silence. I'm not going to quit. He's silent. The Canaanite woman endured his silence. He refused. He was silent. You read the entire account in the different Gospels. He refused to speak to her. I will endure then endured the silence. And then when he spoke, he was nasty. She persevered through that nastiness. She kept calm through it all. She didn't lose her temper. I am not going to give up on this. I have heard and I know you're a God who speaks. And I'm not going to quit on my prayer altar. I'm not going to be like King Saul. If you don't speak, I'll go to a witch. There are other people who speak. You will speak. To me, Lord, you will speak to me. You're going to persevere in your prayer closet. Okay? 
the power of prayer in the Bible is undisputed. It's a God who answers prayer. Yes. Then there is the man or the woman who prays. Okay. So we have James chapter 5. An entire man's history is in two verses. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Just mark it. What does it mean? Don't make excuses. You are just like him. Depressed, angry, impatient, suicidal. Just like you. Okay. But just like you. And he prayed. How did he overcome? Through his prayer life. He prayed. Just like us. No excuse. How will I do the restoration? I will send you the former rain and the latter rain. What did Elijah do? He prayed the rain in. He literally prayed the rain into our nation. He stopped it. Desolation came. Then he brought it. Restoration came in. How did he do it? By praying. Okay. Maybe because of a lack of a prayer, desolation came. God says, now when you pray, I will send the rain. Okay. I will send the rain. I don't understand why all the young people, unlike in church, have no notebooks and pens. Why you have a memory bank where it is recording everything? (laughs) These are simple disciplines. Because if you do it every time you hear the word of God, that means it is part of you. If you do it only on a Sunday, it means you are doing it for me. And you will have no use to you. Because you are worried, pastor will say, where is your book, where is your pen? Simple things. Make it a part of your character. Even when you are doing your personal study in the morning, you have a book and a pen and a marker. The marker for your Bible, the book and pen to write what God is trying to tell you, speak to you. The lessons you are learning. These are habits. Godly habits. Okay? And it will stand in your stead in the years to come. Okay? Because you'll forget most of the things. So here is a man who prays and God sends the rain. Listen to points, okay, because it matters and you will realize, where do I come into this? Note, I always write over there, note with what you call that, not asterisk, hashtag. God has hardly ever done anything in human history other than through a human vessel. Read from Genesis onwards. All the way to Revelation. God has hardly ever unilaterally done anything. He does. Like his salvation. But when he did that, he came as man. He didn't come as God. God has very, very rarely ever done in human history other than through a human vessel. So that should give you hope. I am a vessel. I can be a vessel. Unilateral acts of God in the Bible are very rare. He needs a man or a woman, a conduit, a channel. He needs a man or a woman. So he says, I will send you the rain. But he needs a man or a woman. And you can be that man or the woman in your own life, in your own house. We saw that verse yesterday. God 
brought Israel out of Egypt through a mighty hand. But look at how Hosea puts it in chapter 12 verse 13. By a prophet the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt and by a prophet he, he who is he? Israel was preserved. How did he bring it? God brought it through the hand of one man. Okay. So get these pictures very, very clearly because when you know these pictures, what happens is otherwise you will not realize you have a purpose. You have a purpose that God never does. You say, Lord, I'm, Lord, I'm wishing this is the year my home will be restored. He says, yeah, I'm looking for you. Will you be the channel that brings the rain in? Will you be that channel that brings the rain? Or you have no family. You are alone. You are a loner. And he says, God says, Lord, I'm praying for restoration. God says, will you be the channel through which my restoration comes to your own life? He doesn't do things unilaterally. He's always looking for a person. One person, at least. So when restoration begins, we saw that yesterday, but we'll recap because I'm sure many of you did not listen or tune in. First Kings chapter 18, verses 29 to 30. This is Mount Karma. This is the one single important incident in Israel's life. When a nation turns back to God and the wicked prophets of Baal are destroyed. Very important. The country has gone into desolation. Don't get distracted. Children are children. Okay, Adults be adults. Let children be children. Adults should be able to handle. Okay, You have to be. We are all parents. Like I said, I preached with Andrew in my arms. In church, many times, because you would crawl down straight to the pulpit. And have taught an undergraduation class many times, holding a sleeping Noella in my arms. Because that's the only way I could go to college. They wanted me. I didn't need them. I said, on one condition, I got a little girl. If you allow her to come to me, with me to the classroom. They said, please, sir, you can bring her. She's a small little kid, four years, five years old. She used to sit on the bench and fall asleep. I said, come over here. Held her, she fell asleep and I continued teaching in literature. So I could teach literature or preach the Bible holding a child without getting distracted. That is what is God's focus. And many of you struggle because you are distracted. Children are not the problem for parents. Parents are the problem for children. Don't get distracted. Because you need to realize whether you want to succeed in the world, or you want to succeed in the world, in the kingdom, you need this focus, focus, focus. Okay? And children are never, children will be always children, but you need to be able to listen. You need to be able to listen. Okay? Don't worry about the children. 29. When mid, this is, remember the prophet Zabal, the midday was passed. They prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Did you see that? What is the whole point of praying? What is the whole point if there is no voice? Silence. Earth is like brass. Heaven is like iron. Or earth is like iron. Heaven is like brass. That's what God told Israel. When you disobey me, you will hear nothing. Nothing will change in your life. No voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. And then comes Elijah. Then Elijah said to the people, this is the time of the evening sacrifice. I said yesterday, the significance, the significance is that Israel, uh, by Old Testament, 
time is calculated from evening. The evening and the morning was the first day. That's how. So six o'clock is when evening begins. And six o'clock in the evening, you know what you have? You have a sacrifice. So you should learn. One of the beautiful things, I wasn't, I want, I wasn't a believer then. I was just a child living in a Christian home. My grandfather's home. The entire lane, maybe 50, 60 houses, I do not know. There was one Muslim house, one Hindu house, the rest were Christians. One Catholic house, the rest were all Protestants, one Pentecostal, I can still remember. But six o'clock in the evening, if you walk down the road, what you heard was everybody singing. Today, if you go and walk at six o'clock in the evening, what you hear is the TV. What changed? Prosperity came in and worship went out. Those days, people were in prosperous. They had enough. They were prosperous. But even if it was in the Hindu house, at six o'clock, they used to light their lamp and you could hear them singing. Every house, evening, there was worship. Okay, where did they get it from? Patterns of the Old Testament. That's the evening sacrifice. So at the time of the evening sacrifice, technically in the Old Testament, that is when the day begins for them. So what's God telling us? When your day begins, begin with a sacrifice. Let me tell you, real prayer is a sacrifice. It is not easy. Real praise is a sacrifice. It is not easy. It's your sacrifice in the new covenant. It begins with a sacrifice. But the first thing Elijah says, Israel is going to be restored for a season. First thing he says, come near and repair the altar. The altar of Baal is looking, standing there, beautiful, wonderful, shining. That's the altar of the world. But the altar of God is broken down. And if you are, if, if you are honest, because I don't have children in my home, if you are honest, you will see the altar of Baal. Today we call it Sarasudhi Puja. It's beautiful in all your houses. Study, study, study. Altar of Yahweh, broken down. No sacrifice there. No sacrifice there. How many of you can honestly, I won't even ask you to put your hands up, can honestly say that every evening there is worship in my house, seven days a week with my family. If you do not have, repair the altar. That's where restoration begins. The first thing, or you are an individual person. I'm not talking about evening, I'm talking about in your day. Morning or evening or both times, preferably if you are a person or a family, whatever it is, the altar is repaired. It will not be moved, it will not be shaken. It's an immovable altar in my house. That's the altar of prayer. Altar of prayer. It will be consistent. There is no changing, there is no shifting of that thing. You want restoration. Israel wants restoration. Three and a half years of famine. Everything is dying. People are hungry. Everything is. The first thing the prophet of God comes and says is, repair the altar. The prayer altar. The altar has to be repaired. Get this clear. Remember the Chinese proverb? We are not teaching it, but there's truth in it. A journey of a thousand miles begins with your first step. The first step is repair. You can do it personally. Do it personally. 
if you're in an unbelieving house like Hannah, that's not a matter. You build your altar. You don't expect the rest of the family to be there. But you will say, as far as I am concerned, unbelief stops with me. Rebellion stops with me. Iniquity stops with me. Obedience begins with me. I will. Nobody's interested in my house. It is okay. It is okay. Nobody's interested. Like if you look at the temple in uh, Eli's time, little Samuel is ministering before the Lord. Nobody's interested. But he's interested. One child. And God is looking for somebody he can speak to. And he finds a little child who is up in the morning and is ministering before the Lord. He doesn't even know. He's just imitating. Because the word of God says he had not heard from the Lord yet. Okay. Get these things clear. Because it will go a long way as to how you will face life. Overcome or be overcome. Because when darkness comes, when the props are taken away, if there is an economic collapse, if it takes place, and our money inflow is gone, will you survive? How will you survive? We need two things in life to survive. In this simple material, physical world, either you need money or you need faith. The problem is, God, what he does is, he says, I will break the breadstuff of Israel. Why? To show you that you have no faith. You have no faith. Not to punish. To say that, come back to faith. I'll take care of you. So when that desolation comes, would you be able to stand there alone and trust the ravens to come? I have done what you told me to do. And you have commanded me provision will come. How it will come, where it will come from, I do not know. But I know it will come. The ravens will come. The bin will never be empty. The oil will flow. So in the midst of famine, one man did not struggle because he was fed by faith. So get this picture, it's clear. But where does all begin? Elijah was a man just like us, but he prayed. His altar was perfect. Altar was perfect. Okay. So your prayer altar, the personal prayer altar is the most important, let us say, artifact in your life. Spiritual artifact in your life. It is not for decoration. It is for purpose. The most important object, if you want to put it in those terms, in your life is your prayer altar. Today we will look at what it can do. What a prayer altar can do. It's not a fixed place. The kingdom of God is not a fixed place now. It is in you. The kingdom of God is in you. It's not a fixed place. It is in you. Meaning wherever you go, the kingdom should go. So in the same way, the altar is not a fixed place. But wherever you go, there will be an altar. It can be a hotel room. It can be a marketplace. It can be a home. It can be the church. Wherever you go. Wherever you go. It's not a fixed place. But it's fixed in you. Like the kingdom is. You cannot really experience the kingdom with an altar. Okay? So the first thing we have to do is what God told through Elijah. Repair your prayer altar. That's how restoration begins. Cry out to God. Where? How? How long? Okay? That's your prayer altar. What prayer can actually do when you have a powerful prayer altar? 
what it can actually do. We will just look at a few things in it. One of the most powerful, visible acts of God in response to two people praying. Familiar portion, but unfamiliar teaching. Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 26. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prisons were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And then, 31 to 33. So they said, this is a jailer's response to the jailer. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And verse 33, he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. There are eight things here, or you can make it nine and ten, but eight, you will look at three, maximum three. Or, yeah. Three or four. If you go back towards 25 and 26, the first thing you see is all this happened at the midnight hour. The darkest hour. When you have no expectations. When you have no hope. When you think all is lost. That is when all these things happen. The midnight hour. The second thing you see is that in the midnight hour, two people were praying. And praising. Okay? We have looked last year. Thanksgiving, praising is protocol. Prayer is the intention. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And when you reach there, make your request not. Okay? Protocol is thanksgiving and praise. Prayer is the intention so that I hear from God. What I want or what do you want me to do? Okay, so at the midnight hour, two people were praying. And third thing, the prisoners were listening Mm -hmm. to them. Be careful, because you do not know. People are listening to us. People are listening to us, watching us, listening to us. Fourth thing, there was an earthquake. That's not the point. The foundations of the prison were shaken. Foundations were shaken. Foundations were shaken. It's not a small thing. What prayer can do? Prayer can shake every ungodly, unrighteous foundation. So it can be built on true, righteous, godly foundation. Because all our lives and our homes started on unrighteous foundations. And in the last days, God says, everything that can be shaken will be shaken because you are receiving a kingdom that can be shaken. So if your life is shaken, your home is shaken, it's not a bad thing. God is just telling you, the foundation was wrong. I've come to restore it. I will restore your life. I will restore your marriage. I will restore your home after I fix the foundation. Because there's no point building a house or a home or a life on a shaky foundation. The foundations, because if the foundations are wrong, all are prisoners in that house. They were all captives. And it took two praying men to shake the foundations. And second, immediately, not second, the fifth one, immediately, all the doors were opened. Does not say, some doors were opened. 
few doors were opened. At the, at the end of the year, we should be able to say, all the closed doors in my life has been opened. Because he says, I have the keys of the king of David. The doors that I open, no man can shut. All the doors. For years that had been shut. The, the, the door for anointing. The door for ministry. The door for promotion. The door for joy. The door for peace. The door for... All these doors have to be opened. And God says, I can open it for you. But your part is to pray. Everyone's chains were lost. These two words are six things. We will leave the rest. Six things. We can't look at six things today. But keep that in mind. It's not a small thing. It's not a small thing. What prayer can do? And if you say, I don't have any of these needs, God says, maybe somebody else needs doors open in their life. Somebody else's foundations are bad. Their foundations need to be shaken and rebuilt. Somebody else needs doors. Somebody else needs chains to come off. That's what the Bible says. What true fasting is. To break loose the bonds of wickedness. Maybe in somebody's life. Maybe you are a husband who is struggling over with a wife. Or a wife struggling over with a husband. Or parents struggling over children. God says, I will. You be that person. You be that praying person. Do you want to be part of the problem? Or do you want to be part of the solution? Is a question God is asking. If you're only complaining, 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 God says you're part of the problem. I want you to be part of the solution. Okay. Be part of the solution. And we need to stand up this year on this eighth day and say, Lord, I want to be part of your solution. I don't want to be part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution so that you can restore, Lord. You can restore. So let us look at the time we have. First thing we saw is it will happen at the midnight hour. Go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 14. And the Lord said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons for days and years. So you need to realize one of the first things God declared is that what you take normal has night and day also in the kingdom has prophetic significance. These are signs. These are signs. So when the Bible talks about midnight, it has a prophetic significance, Lord. What are you trying to tell me? If it come down to First Chronicles chapter 12, 32, there is this tribe called Issachar. The sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. If you have an understanding of the time, then you will know what to do. So we need to know, Lord, what is the time that I am going through? What is the season that I am going through? These are important things. Times and seasons are important things. Because if you don't understand seasons in your life, you will not know what to do during that season. And many of us miss times and seasons in our life. And God says, you know what? I will give you a chance. I will restore it. Okay? The Pharaoh was shaken. He couldn't sleep because of the dreams he had seen. Nobody could answer. And then the cupbearer said, there is a man in the prison, a Hebrew. He interprets dreams. And he came and said, there was this fat cow. And then there was this lean cow. Then there was this fat stock. There was this lean stock. The problem was the lean cow ate the fat cow 
but still remained lean. So what is God is saying? There are seasons in your life when I'll give you plenty. Don't waste your years. So when the time of leanness comes, you will be a blessing to others. The seasons we have missed. The seasons of plenty in our life. God sends those seasons. Why? Because seasons of leanness will come for others. At that time, you should become a blessing to others. Seasons, times, don't miss it. That's why we tell you children, you may not realize, but if you have been listening over the years, in your head, there is a Bible college. If you had really, really learned and retained at least 5% of what you heard, 10% of what you heard, when the time of leanness comes, you have so much to give out. Don't give secular counsel, psychological counsel. Don't give. That has no power to change people. Only the word of God and the counsel of the Holy Spirit has the power to change people. Because you don't have to worry. Jesus said, you don't have to worry when we stand before people. The Spirit of God will bring to your remembrance. When you open your mouth, you will be able to impart life. But when you will be a part, because you did not waste the ears of the fat cow. Or the fat stock. So everything that God does, there is a time and a season. Times are there. Seasons are there. So when the Bible says, the midnight hour came. At the midnight hour, two people have so much to give. When the midnight hour comes in your life, what will be your situation? Will you be able to give? Will you be able to be a channel, a conduit of God's blessing? Is because famine is coming, pestilence is raging, things will go down if this thing doesn't stop. The question is not, where will the world go? That's not the point. What will the church do? Will the church have anything to give to a perishing world? Will we have anything to give it to them? A hope. Because we have supposedly birthed in us a living hope. What is that living hope? It is the Spirit of God in us. The very Spirit of God. So turn to Matthew 16, verses 2 and 3. Look at Jesus, sarcastic to the Pharisees. Oh, he said, he said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. You know what? Full of the written word of God, no light within, because they resisted the Holy Spirit. Remember this. The key to life is the Spirit of God. Not just the Word of God. The Word of God, the Spirit of God. Don't resist the Spirit of God because wherever He comes, He brings, we sing. Wherever the river flows, it brings life. Okay. The Spirit of God is the key. And we can, because Spirit of God is a person. The word of God is material printed in black and white, red red letter Bible, red leather bound. This is not the problem. The problem is the teacher within. The problem is the counselor. The problem is the guide. The problem is the person about whom God said, I will guide you with my eye. You will hear a voice behind your ear saying, this way you need to go. Our issue is with the person, not with the text. 
Because text you can interpret in whichever way you want because your heart is deceitful. It can even interpret the text whichever way you want. But you cannot push the Holy Spirit whichever way you want to go. He is the wind. He blows where he pleases. Bend or break. Okay, understand. This is our issue. So remember the signs. Jesus said, you are very good. But you don't understand the sign of this time. He cried over Israel and said, If only you had known the hour. Hour, visitation. So look through the pictures. Right from the time when Jesus is born. Nobody knew. Just a few shepherds. Right? Two years later, nobody knew. Wise men who had to follow one blinking star. Nobody went to Bethlehem. Eight days later, when he was circumcised, the butcher of Bethlehem, the blood shed on his hands, made no difference to him. He did not realize this blood was for the atonement of all mankind, past, present, future. No effect. Forty days later, presented in the temple, one old man has to be rushed in by the Spirit of God. One old woman who spent her entire life in fasting prayer. Two people have. Nobody else knew. The king has come into his temple. What are you doing here? Oh, this is all for Yahweh. Yahweh has come. Where, 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 where? Where, where is Yahweh? Nobody knew. Okay. So remember, the altar will define. The altar will define. Remember what happened to the prophets of Baal. Nobody spoke. Nobody listened. Nobody paid any attention. That shouldn't be our prayer altar. Because our God had said, the high point of Israel's history, dedication of the temple, then God comes and tells Solomon, when all things go wrong, and, yeah, when my people who are called by my name, they humble themselves, pray, seek, turn, then I will hear. That's the first thing I will hear. Now, this is a waste of time. You are a spiritual acrobat doing spiritual gymnastics, not walking. Okay. Midnight. Please remember, midnight, at the midnight hour. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 25. Get this picture clear. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. Context, background, fed the 5,000 plus. They are all eaten, satisfied, excited. Forcibly they wanted to make him king. So what did he do? Divided the groups. Send the multitudes away. Send the disciples because you need this to get together. Pressure will be too much upon him. But they will also say, you became, we just give us whichever cabinet post of a session you have. So what did he do? Send them on a boat to the other side, as far away from the multitude as possible. Send the multitudes on another side. And where did he go? He went up the mountain to pray. And the Bible says, when evening came, when is evening? Hebrew calendar, six in the evening. Six is when evening begins. He's alone up there on the mountain. Turn to the parallel passage in John chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. Therefore, when Jesus pursued, they were about to come and make him by force, give him by force to make him king. He departed again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down 
to the sea. Verse 18 and 19. Now the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. Oh, I didn't give it to you, Matthew 14. Let's go back there. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, 24. The boat was now in the middle of the sea. You have to put it all together to get the entire picture. Okay? Boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Hebrews divide the day into four parts, evening into four parts. Six to nine, nine to twelve, twelve to three, three to six. So when it's the fourth watch, it means from three to six. So he went up the mountain in the evening, six. He comes down walking on the water at three. The question is, what was he doing? Praying for six hours. Six hours. Look at the difference over there. How many miles did they go? They also started in the evening. Three or four miles. Why? Because the wind was contrary. Struggling, struggling, struggling. How does he go? Walking on the water. How could he walk on the water when they are struggling? What caused him to walk on the water? It's because he had spent that time before his father. I told yesterday. One man's mountain. Another man's small hill. Do you know why we feel this thing is too much? Because we haven't spent time before God. Therefore, our burden looks very heavy. If you have come from our prayer closet, it looks very light. Four miles in six hours. Well, he walks. How did he do it? What is God trying to teach us through it? This is how you save time. You want to save time? You want to re- your ears restored? How do you save time? How could you walk just like that? What they couldn't cross in six hours of rowing. Twelve adult men, strong twelve men, in a boat, rowing four miles. Because the wind was contrary. Wind was contrary. He, on the other hand, just walked across. You have to think about it. In your personal life, in your family, in your office, in your ministry. One goes down under the weight, another compromises to the world system, while another one just walks through. Now what is the difference between one who walks through? It's because he has a prayer altar. He has an altar of prayer. Most of our problems are not really problems. They are problems because we do not have a prayer life. As simple as that. We don't have a prayer life. That's why problems are problems. None of us will face what Moses faced or what Jesus faced or Paul faced. They just walked through. What is the entire sum total of Moses' life? He was a praying man. What is the entire sum total of Jesus' life? He was a praying man. The disciples didn't teach us. Teach us ministry. Just teach us to pray. The Bible says when he was being baptized as he was praying heaven, why was heaven open for him? Because he prayed. The Bible says on the Mount of Transfiguration, as he was praying, his countenance changed. When you pray, your countenance changes. 
Everything about Jesus Christ, if you look at it, the starting point is he had an altar, unshakable, immovable. No negotiation with that. No negotiation. Some here, here. Okay, don't get distracted by the children. Because adults get distracted, children also. Okay? Okay. Don't ever think you can skip step one. You cannot skip, skip step one. Step one is, uh, Abel, it is fine. The children are fine. You leave them alone to do what they want. You don't have to go out. Leave the children. Children are perfectly fine. Parents listen. <laughs> Let children be children. Okay? Jesus was never disturbed by the children. He was disturbed by the disciples. <laughs> he didn't say, take the children away from here. He said, don't stop them. You guys listen, is what he's telling. You are the guys who are distracted. Children never disturb Jesus. And in our life, we need to learn this. Children should never be a disturbance to us. They are a joy. The closest thing to an angel on earth is a child. Okay? Closest thing to an angel on earth is a child. Children are blessings. You have to think that dedication verses always. Children are straight from heaven. They are a blessing. They are an inheritance. You have to look at your children differently. They are not a source of distraction or disturbance. If we are distracted because of a child, it's a judgment on us, not on them. Judgment on us. This is a church office. This began 12 years. How many years? 10 years. When it was built, I took it. And when I used to sit here, I was alone. Nobody was there in the ministry. You know who was here? The first baby I buried. Remember I said? Yeah, he used to be here, sitting with me. I said, it's not a disturbance. Drop him here. Rock him. Sit and work. How many babies grew up in this place? It never was a disturbance. Children are never a disturbance. Okay. If we look at the most precious thing that God has given to us as a disturbance or a distraction, then what will we do with the other things? You know, what will we do with other things? Okay. They're the most precious, most joyful things which God has given us. Children are not a distraction. Let me tell you. As a father and spiritually as a grandfather, you know, they've never been a disturbance to me. Never been a disturbance to me. Okay? So don't ever think your child disturbs me. Only thing if they scream. Like our beautiful Athira is there, no? She shrieks. <laughs> okay? But what I'm saying, you know, get these things in your mind. Otherwise you'll get distracted by other things also. That's why the Bible says uh, a woman will be saved through labor pain. Labor pain is not delivery pain. It is raising up children. That is the source of your sanctification. So here you are. They saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. Remember today's devotional? That's if you read it. Can you sleep when the wind blows? Jesus could. And he literally slept in Mark chapter 4, remember? When the wind was blowing. Why could he sleep when the wind was blowing? Because deep inside, he had met his father in the morning and everything was in order. Everything was in order. So when the wind blew, he literally went to sleep. Went to sleep. 
get these pictures because testing times are ahead, not because I said so, because he said so. Everything. What does everything mean when God says everything? Your nut and bolt will come loose. Doesn't matter what spanner you used to tighten it. If it was not of God, it will come off. Everything will be revealed. No, not to judge us, to secure us, to restore us. So at the midnight hour, when it is darkest, Bible says Paul and Silas were. Right? At the midnight hour, Jesus was up in the mountain praying. And then he walks over. And the Bible actually says, if you look at the other other parts of the same story in the different gospel, I didn't put it there because then it would be a study of that incident. You know, one thing says, as soon as he got into the boat, one says the wind stopped. Second one says, as soon as he got, immediately they reached the storm. So when will the wind stop blowing in your life? When Jesus comes in. When will Jesus come in? When you have met him in the prayer altar. That's where you meet him. See, God doesn't change his order. The evening and the morning were the? Evening and the morning were the? So in the Hebrew calendar or the Genesis record, when does the day begin? Okay, in Genesis chapter 2, when does Jesus come to meet Adam and Eve when they sin? In the evening. Evening, he comes to meet them. Even he had his appointed times with the first man and woman. The question is, as a man, as a woman, do you have an appointed time with God? Set it apart. And make it concrete. Unless exigencies happen. Okay? When your shift changes, change with that. Lord, you know my shift has changed, but this thing will never change. This is my time. The time I will spend with you. I can change the hour, but I will not change my time with you. Because everything flows from it. You know, Lord, if I spend that time with you, the wind will cease. I will reach fast. I will save time. And third thing, I can walk on the circle. I will never go under the circumstances. I will walk above the circumstances. Twelve people are struggling under the circumstances. One man is walking over his circumstances. And you realize God is absolutely personally interested and involved in our lives. Even children sitting over here. I look at the children and think about it. You know what? Struggle, 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 struggle. You hear all that. Let me tell you. How strong is your devotional life? Why was Daniel found ten times better than the others? Because he studied hard or because he put God first? God first. Do you believe? I'm not saying you shouldn't study. But that is not the key. All people, God hasn't called, he has chosen the brilliant, the educated, the smart. He says he called the foolish. How does the foolish become the head? Because they have an altar. God says, I will put you on the head because you put me first, not because of your effort. Because of your effort. And I'm telling you, teach your children now to fast. Teach your children now to have an altar. You know what? There will never be the tale. There will never be the tale. God has a slot and a purpose for them. There they will be successful. Not because they were competing with others. Because he was with them. He was with them. Otherwise, how does the Hebrew shepherd boy become the head of Potiphar's house? What MBA did he do? Nothing. The only thing the Bible says is the Lord was with him. The simple question, how can God be with a man if he doesn't have an altar? He was thrown into a prison full of the king's prison. 
Those are not small people. These are smart people. Suddenly he is the head. Why is he head? Because he has an altar. Why does the Pharaoh entrust the entire country into his hands? Because God is with him. And how does God come with him? Because he learned in the Babylonian Egyptian academy? No. Moses was trained in the Egyptian academy. He was good for nothing. For God. So get these pictures right. We have children and I have enormous hope from these little children. That you do right by them, by God's methods. They will be that army. Put God first. You choose, say, no, mommy is fasting today, daddy is fasting today. Do you want to fast? Teach them to fast early. I am absolutely sure Samuel had a fasting life. Teach them to fast. You won't, you won't, you won't die. Children don't die by fasting. They die by feasting. Teach them these things to worship, to put God first. And studying is not subjects. It is getting them to the discipline. That is the primary thing. It's not learning subjects. Get to the discipline of hard work. Because many of us, what we studied, God never used it. But we got the discipline. The discipline God uses. Not the subjects you study. What I have done with my physics, chemistry, math, biology, Malayalam, Sariyak, Hindi, nothing. The Hindi I learned at school was totally useless for me to preach. He had to give me Hindi. His Hindi he had to give it to me. <laughs> the English I used to speak when I was an English student, I cannot speak today because it was quite vulgar. I have to change my language completely to sound very holy from here. So even the English which I learned, I cannot use. Because any man who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. Nothing of the old will come. It has passed away. If it doesn't pass away, it will fail. You will fail. So don't strain. Because this is the thing. You have to put God first. Personally, consciously put first. And without realizing, you will see restoration is taking place. And you will realize how easy it is. Let me tell you. What this were all personally God taught me right in the beginning. I was a young believer. I did not have a church. Thank God I did not have a church. then, Because all the churches were wonky around there. There were no really word teaching church. So he kept me safe from the church. But he had, I had my books, my Bible, Richard Wombrand, um, Watchman Nee. And here I am, a 22 or 23 year old young man who has had a speech impediment, literally, and was fearful, never could speak before crowds. And then here I'm in a classroom like this, kids older than me. Because that's a country where they come to class 10, class 11, class 12. They come by 21, 22, 23, 24. They are big, huge, massive, small guy. Okay. All I could do was lean on God. Lean on God. And I still can never forget that day. It was an afternoon. It was my midnight hour. First hour of the afternoon in a college, when you call, that's not high school. It's not when you want to teach these kind of students because they all eat and they want to sleep. And I just, just remember crying out to God in my heart. And I know the anointing hit me. And I put the textbook down and I started teaching Shakespeare under the anointing. And I saw the students waking up and they stood there because the anointing always works. It set the captives who were asleep awake. <laughs> After that, I never had trouble in any classroom. And you don't know what happened? The other students and the other lecturers used to come and stand outside my class to listen. What is different about this man? It was the anointing. 
not me. They had a problem in the in the in the, in the school. The principal called for a staff meeting of all the English teachers and said, uh, "Mr. James, what's the problem? All the students want to change their English teacher. They all want you to teach, and the lecturers are standing outside your classroom door." And I am the rookie, no experience, no B.A., no M.Ed., nothing. All of them are years of experience. What is the difference? It is not my learning, it is not my hard work. The difference was the anointing. And that is what God is talking about. We have been given somebody, not even something, somebody. You need to understand the difference between gift and anointing. A gift is given whether you earned it or not. You cannot receive anointing like that. Anointing is connected to the person of the Holy Spirit. If the person is there, the anointing works. The person is there. Anointing doesn't work. Gift works. If you have a gift. If you don't have a gift, your, your goose is cooked. And Jesus is talking about the anointing. He's not talking about any gift. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. It's the anointing that teaches. If you do not know how to enter into your prayer closet and be in the presence of God and then walk through the anointing, this word cannot teach you. Because God cannot teach you. And it is the anointing that we are fighting for. And you have to fight everything in your life that stops the flow of that anointing. Your life should be right with God. Go back. Doesn't matter what has happened. Go back and put it right. Your life should be right with your spouse. It's absolutely clear. As far as you are concerned, walk with peace as far as you can possible. So, you, the person, whether you are male or female in the, in the family, walk right before God. God says, anointing will work for you. It will work for you. And we need the, suddenly you realize your job is not so difficult. It doesn't matter whether you are trained for it, because Joseph was not trained for that job. It is the anointing that breaks the difference. You know? Desire gifts. But he whose Lord gives as he pleases. Your gift will be according to your purpose. But anointing is for everybody. Gift is for ministry. Anointing is for everybody. And that is what we are talking about. When he talks of the latter and the former reign, he's talking about the anointing. Unlimited he can give it to you. And Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And you have to be willing to pay a price. It's not free. It's not free. It cannot be. I cannot give you my anointing. I can lay hands upon you and maybe you may receive a gift. That's why when the hour came, the five virgins said, give us your oil. They said, we cannot give it to you. Go buy. It can only be bought. But you cannot buy it with money. You cannot buy it with money. You have to deal with the issues of the heart. The shoes of life. What is blocking that anointing from flowing into my life, Lord? I want that. I want. The anointing is there for every work. Right? You take an, you think about Indians. Except for rice. That too, when they make coconut rice, they put oil into that also. Everything else we use oil. Right? That's the nature of the anointing. You can be an anointed father, anointed mother, anointed teacher, anointed IT employee, anointed student. Anointing works everywhere. It's not specific to anything. Gift is specific. Anointing is not. Anointing it is. It's not. And it is living. It 
teaches you according to your circumstances. You do not need anybody to teach you. Does that mean you don't need teachers? Of course I need teachers. But the anointing will teach you all things. And that is where the prayer closet comes. That's where your altar comes. And that's what the Bible is talking about. Here is this man. At the midnight hour. When it is darkest. Can you pray? Can you sing? That's not your lifestyle. No. We say in English, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. We are talking about spiritual toughness. When it is darkest, they are praying. They are worshipping. He went up to the hill because the enormous pressure upon his flesh. The crowds want him to become king. The disciples want him to become king. And he knows he has the power to become the king. But he does not have the authority to become the king. So to escape the power, the crowd and disciples, he went to the mountain, prayed five years, five hours and came back cool as a cucumber walking on water. He's so light. Pressure is off. That's what it means to walk on water. Literally, yes. Spiritually, what is it? He's light. Light on his feet. Why? The pressure is gone. How did the pressure go? He met God on the mountain. He met his father on the mountain. He's light. No more pressure. No more pressure. Because pressure is only going to increase. It's going to decrease. God didn't say it's going to decrease. He didn't say that when it is brilliant outside, my light will shine upon you. He didn't say he's in darkness. Ghora Andhakar. Unbelievable darkness covers the earth. My light will shine upon you. What is that light? It is the anointing. It's the anointing. Fight to have it and keep it. In Exodus chapter 11, verse 4. Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt. At midnight. And it looks the darkest and the worst. God says, you know a thing? Yes, it is the time of the powers of darkness. It is their powers. Twelve to three is the time for the powers of darkness. Worst hours. But he says, when everybody is fearing the powers of darkness at those hours, for you, my people, I will go into the midst of Egypt for your sake. When it is the worst, when it's the scariest, when the enemy is supposed to be the most powerful, God says, I will intervene for you. I will intervene for you. Look at what happens in chapter 12, verse 29 to 31. It came to pass at midnight, the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not one house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel. Go and serve Lord as he has said. When did Israel's deliverance come? At the midnight hour. At the midnight hour. What did the Pharaoh say? Please go. Please go. So when we look, think it is the worst, God is just waiting to move. If only we will believe. If only we will believe and do what we have to do. So, I think I didn't give it to you. Go to Genesis chapter 49 and verse 3. What the Bible says is, why did Pharaoh release? The God of this world release God's people because his 
firstborn was killed. From the lowest to the highest, second, next one to sit on the throne, the firstborn was destroyed. What does the firstborn mean? This is what Jacob says. Reuben, you are my firstborn. My might, my strength, my dignity, my power. The excellency of it. What will God do in the midnight hour if we don't, if we stay up and we are prayed up? When we don't quit, we will praise him, we will praise him, we will sing, we will pray. God says, I will destroy the strength, the power, the dignity, the excellency of the enemy and you will be free. That's what happened in the prison in Philippi. The enemy's power was broken. That's what it means, the firstborn. Because you need to look at, when you look at the firstborn, what does the firstborn signify? The power of the firstborn. The power of the firstborn. Because unless the enemy's strength and his dignity, his might and his power is destroyed, we will never go free. We'll never go free. We cannot go free out of this world. We cannot walk in liberty in this world until the might, the strength, the power, the dignity of the enemy is destroyed in our lives. And God said, do you know when I did it? I did it in the midnight hour. When you think it is impossible, when you thought it is not possible at all, that is when I will do it. Don't give up. That's why Jesus said in Luke 18.1, men ought to always pray and not lose Heart. When do you lose a heart? When it starts getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Connected with the last days, he says, when all these things starts getting worse and worse, don't lose heart. Lift up your heads. Understand what it means. Your redemption is nearer, nearer, nearer. Look at Judges chapter 16, verse 2 and 3. Samson here is a picture of Christ, a picture of the church. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night. Where? At the gate of the city. They were quiet all night saying, in the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. What did he do? Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gate posts pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. What does that mean to us? Samson is a picture of Christ, is a picture of the church. He said, one first promise, first promise connected with the church, even in the Bible is that, upon this rock I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not. He says, when you know who I am, and what you are called to do. I will break the gates of hell for you and set the captives free. Hell can never prevail over a believing church. It cannot prevail. It is not possible. It is written. First promise given to the church. Hell will not prevail. You will break gates as a symbol of authority and power. You will take down the gates of hell. We think we are closing our gates and locking it because hell is coming. That is not what is said over there. It is said the church is coming, hell is closing their gate. And God says, you know what? Do you remember what Samson did? He just took the gates off. Took it off. And took it to Hebron and kept it there. What is Hebron? Fellowship with God and fellowship man. We'll break the gates of hell and invite the captives to come and fellowship with God. That's why we need to believe when it is darkest is also when God will do his greatest work of salvation on earth. But he's looking for vessels who will pray and the church will do it. 
God will do it through the church. So we don't lose hope. We don't get distracted. We don't get carried away by whatever is happening. Our heart and mind has to be stayed on God. Whatever you are doing. That's why when I will tell you with the children, I say, don't get distracted. Because you get distracted by a child here. Tomorrow you will be distracted by your trouble in your workplace. Your eyes will be off God. Take your eyes off God. How will we go through? Jesus said, keep your eyes. Paul, the writer of Hebrews says, keep your eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. So we have to learn. Whatever happens in the midst of my work, in the midst of my studies, the midst of whatever I am doing professionally out in the world, my eyes will not be off God. I will never forget, this morning, Lord, I prayed, thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. That's my purpose. And even here, I will not be distracted. I will not let worry to go over me. That is one wave. Anxiety to go, that's another wave. Fear to go over. I will not be submerged. Because I know one thing, you are faithful. You are faithful. And I want to walk on the water. I will not. It doesn't matter if the wind is contrary. It does not matter the wind, the, the waves are rising. You are, I have you with me. And I will walk. And I will reach the other shore. It's a daily constant battle. But if you have to battle that, then you should have won your battle. We will say, we to say this, become, become a cliche. Daniel could overcome the lions in the den because he had overcome the lion in his prayer closet. The devouring lion. If you haven't overcome him in your prayer closet, then the lions in the den, the king's lions, the world's lions, will eat you up. But they cannot do anything to you because he will. Yesterday somebody wrote to me, wrote to me, Pastor, pray. They are doing all kinds of rituals and sorcery for you to die and your wife to die. He said, I shall not die. Tell them they will die. I shall live. You can do your sorcery. You can do your rituals. You can do your witchcraft. You can do whatever you want. But there is a day appointed unto me not to die, but to fall asleep. I will not die. Why? It is written. It is written. We shall not die, but love. And declare the works of the Lord. And when the time comes, even if you are stoned like Stephen, you fall asleep. Because Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will not die. Death is for those who don't believe. Sleeping is for those who believe. When you went to bed last night, you didn't die, you slept. That's why you are here. The same way when your hour comes, you will sleep here and wake up there. We don't fear. We don't fear because we know. In whom we have believed. So you should look at this man. We don't want to, we don't want to read verse one. That's why I took verse one out. What is verse one? He went to a harlot in the city of Gaza and he slept with her. He went to a compromised church. What God's desire is, I want you to give you victory. Not defeat. Why? You are my testimony. Compromised. But I want you to give victory and not defeat. If that, if he will give victory to a man who slept with a harlot last night, how much more he will give to those who are on fire for God. Look at God's heart. What he wants to do for the church, for his people, called by his name. Why is he doing it? Why did he do it for Samson? Because Samson is kosher? No. As he kept Romans 30 verse 9, for my name's sake. I will give you victory. Even if you don't want victory, I will give victory for my name's sake. 
So how much more will he give to victory who are zealous for his namesake? That is David. Comes over there. Everybody afraid. He says, is not there a cause? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? I will fight. There is nobody to fight? Good, I will fight. Because there is a cause. What victory? This one, I don't know which preacher he said. It didn't matter which way David threw the stone. It would have hit Goliath. <laughs> we will go to Benjamin and those Benjaminites with the left hand could split the hair. It was irrelevant. It didn't matter how we flung. It didn't matter where the stone struck Goliath. He would have fallen. You know why? Because God was behind that stone. Behind that stone. God was looking for <laughs> physics, physics out of the window. Aerodynamic, whatever law of Newton, whatever law you want, all out of the window. God is behind. He suspends all laws and says, you know what? You throw it like also it goes and it's done. <laughs> okay. You sometimes we forget who is for us. We forget who is for us, you know. And God should give us that confidence. You know, what is this people in the world going to get at the end of the day? In eternity, nothing. Okay, we look at it. They shall live with him forever and ever. And the other side, they will be in the lake of fire forever and ever. I mean, what is your future? What is our future? So there are times and seasons. So when it says the midnight hour, if you turn to First Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2 and then 4 and 6. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need I should write to you. For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as thief in the night. The day of the Lord will come suddenly. You should be prepared. Don't be virgins with oil. Oh, I have never gone that side. I don't like the world. I am not in the law. That's not the point. Do you have the spirit with you? No. That's not the point. That's an extremely good thing. Of course you need to be. But that's not the point. Do you have the oil? Comes, look at verse 46. Brethren, you brethren are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. When will the day not take you, overtake you as a thief, if you are not in darkness? Darkness. You know the times and the seasons. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. What is ignorance of God? It is darkness. Ignorance of the ways of God. Darkness. Ignorance of the times of God. Darkness. Ignorance of the seasons of God. Darkness. And God says, you are not. How will I know what is this time? How will I know? How will you know? Lord, what is this time? God says, this year I've set it apart for the year of restoration. Oh, thank you, Lord. I made a calendar, 12 months for restoration. He says, Are Buddhu, you don't need 12 months. In one month I can restore it, in the 11 months you can run the next race. You already are a lazy fellow. You said 12 <laughs> months for restoration. <laughs> First month I said I will give you the rain. You already decided. And because you have started lazy, second month you realize, oh, yo, I have makeup exam backlog because I didn't do what I was supposed to do in the first. By the time you come to the sixth month, you give up because backlog is so many. That's not what God meant. Be very, understand this God. He is for us. He is not against us. So be children of light and not children of darkness. And there is only 
one light. That is the Spirit of God. Don't try the Word of God alone. It will not work. I told yesterday also. The problem is that if you try to study the Word of God without the Spirit of God, you use your soul power to interpret. And it could be almost always right or wrong. A very dangerous thing. The entire Bible is the new covenant. The entire Bible in this age is revelation. It is revelation. Old Testament prophet, even David, when he sang those songs and all, why is it is written? If it was his personal prayer, why should it be written? It's for us. Just revelation. He didn't understand what he was saying. The prophet didn't understand what they were saying. Did Joel understand this? I mean, imagine, you are in the time of Israel, famine, locusts came, your harvest is gone, why should it be preserved 2,600 years later? What relevance does it have to us? So it is not talking about ordinary harvest and locusts, which is, he is telling something else which Joel did not understand, and his people did not understand, subsequent generations did not understand, we understand and Peter did not understand. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came upon him, he understands. So, he grammatically changes. Afterwards, becomes suddenly the last days. How did you know? Revelation. Out of my spirit to all of my spirit. How did you know? A revelation. Okay. So, it's revelatory. Otherwise, we'll be just gathering knowledge about God, not knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is like, let me tell you about, let me ask about the children. The children are very smart. When your child woke up today, did they come and ask you, Mama, I know what you made for breakfast last week. Do they want to know? That's knowledge about. What difference does it make? Mama, what are you making today? Oh, I'm making this. And if it's exciting, they are excited. You don't want knowledge about God. You want knowledge of God. What are you doing today? You need knowledge about God. That is, this is the way he is. He never changes. That's very important. That is doctrine set. But you need knowledge of God. What is he doing today? What does he want me to do in my this year? How do you want me to change? How will you bring restoration into my life? Where do I am? Ultimately, you are accountable to God one-on-one. One-on-one. I keep telling, the onus is on the men. The men have to become men again. My prayer closet and your prayer closet has to change. Okay, otherwise, otherwise, it is like boxing with one hand tied behind your back for the woman. The man is not spiritual and she's called to be spiritual. You know what? It's very difficult because on one side God says, your husband is your head, but he is headless. He's not interested in Christ. And she has to lead very subtly. How does she lead? From band behind pushing. Because she can't go to the front. Because God said, you shall submit your husband in all things. But this man doesn't submit to God at all. Lord, what do you do? So you have to be like Abigail. You have to be very wise to be able to skirt and submit to David personally. Who is David? Christ. Because he married a fool. Understand how it works. So the simple thing, you want your home to be restored. I'm talking about wives who have believing husbands. The man has to come to God first. He has to make that decision. He has to make that decision. You know what? And then, one, it will, it, transition will take a little time. Once he's understood God, and he's in his prayer closet, hearing from God, and he starts changing, then you have to make your decision. Even though I was struggling and leading, I am following from now. 
I will follow. It's not easy to change. Change is not easy. You will struggle. Because once you have got, this is why you will see, you know, uh, Latimer Putin. He will never get off that seat. Though there are term limits. So 10 years he will rule as president. Then he will change the constitution and says prime minister is the head. 10 years he will become as prime minister. Then he will again change the constitution and make some other post and says 10 years I will rule. That's the problem. If you have taken power which is not rightfully yours, you will struggle to let go of it. That is why God tells the woman don't lead. Because if you lead, you will struggle to let go of it. Because you know what that power is? That is the power without accountability. Power reflects Sonia Gandhi ruling India. Is she prime minister? No. But anything Manmohan Singh has to do, she has to say, okay. But if anything go wrong, Manmohan Singh is in trouble. That is what happened in the garden. We have to be very careful about these things. So, when these things happen, And you see your husband has become spiritual and he's starting to lead. Fall in line. Fall in line. But pray for that to happen. Pray, Lord, 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 Lord. That's where Rebecca went wrong. Isaac was wrong. Because he lost interest in the things of God and went that way. What should she have done? She should have gone on a fast and said, My God, my husband is getting it wrong. He's planning to bless Esau. I know him. He's not interested, Lord. Please speak to him. I know you can speak to him because he has heard from you. He has in his deep life a deposit of hearing from you. I know he's he's lazy, but he knows you. Would you bring that fire back? Would you speak to him, Lord? Would you speak to him? Instead, you know what? She stepped to the front. An illegitimate power came in and she goofed up her whole life and family. And after that, Rebecca is not mentioned in the Bible at all. Not even a death is mentioned. Her nursemaid, Deborah's death is mentioned. Rebecca's death is not mentioned. We have to learn to be biblical men and women. Biblical men are called to lead. And he cannot lead unless he has a prayer closet. The first place for leading. Because Jesus showed us the way. He is the head. He showed the church. The church is his bride. He is the husband. How did he lead? What defined Jesus' life was his prayer closet. He was defined by his prayer. And in his prayer closet, he heard. He heard. And because he heard, he walked lightly. He was always a blessing. He protected his bride till the end. Even when they came to arrest him, that is his protection. His, his bride, he said, don't touch them. He took care of them. Provided for them. We have to get back into the pot. Because I tell you, the strength of a church is the strength of a family. The strength of a nation is the strength of a church. Because God doesn't look at anything else. He looks at the home and he looks at the church. That's all he looks at. Two entities. And restoration has to begin. It has to begin with me. It has to begin with me. And men have to go back being biblical men. It begins with the prayer closet. It's in Matthew 25 and verse 6. At midnight, at midnight, I cried, I was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. The question is, at midnight, what is that hour? The worst hour. That is when darkness is the highest. That's when the powers of darkness are the highest. Question is, would you be able to get up? We are not talking about a time in the day. I am talking about a time in your life. 
Would you be like, it's a midnight hour for Paul and Silas, beaten, a strange city. What does it mean? You don't know anybody here. You have no family, friends, nothing is there. Nobody to call, nobody to help you. In a city, Gentile city called Philippi, the authorities have beaten you, stripped you, thrown into the prison, locked up over there. This is your worst hour. The question is, at that hour, cry comes, the bridegroom is coming. Would you able to light your lamp? Because there is enough oil. Because the problem is if there is no oil, because you never grew up with lanterns, if you light a lantern without oil, it smokes. It makes the darkness worse. Because we had, we always had lanterns. We grew up in those age. The first thing in the evening you do is that you wash the lantern, the, the, the glass thing. Okay, the chimney, you washed it nicely, dried it nicely. You don't put it wet because the chimney can crack. You are very, very careful about washing the chimney because if it cracks, to get another one is difficult. So you are very, very careful. Careful. What is the chimney, the glass? That's your testimony. The light of God has to shine through you. The light of God is hidden. In him was life. That life was the light of men. But the light has to shine. Your treasure, earthen vessel, but the treasure is inside. And if the treasure has to be seen, you have to be very careful how you handle your life. Handle your life. Very careful. That's your testimony. That's your testimony. The light has to shine through. Behold, the bridegroom is here. When did he come? Midnight hour. Mark chapter 13 and verse 33. Take heed and watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Be watchful. Be watchful. Be sober. Be sons of sons of day. Don't be drunk in the world. Don't be like Martha, so consumed by your work. Consumed by your work. Don't be consumed by anything of this world. Know your duty. Do it. Be consumed by God. Passion for Him. And God will bring out a great deliverance. He will bring out a great deliverance. So we have a choice at the midnight hour. Are we going to sleep? Are we going to be drunk? Are we going to be busy? Or are we going to watch and pray? Acts 16.25, when you go back, what is the second thing they did? We only looked at one thing. Okay. To make you interested, think you are at, what is that? IMAX, think you are at IMAX. And it's this huge screen with Dolby surround sound, voice, sound and all of it. Think that, okay? Then you will be able to listen. <laughs> Willing suspension of disbelief. <laughs> because when you go to theater, you're guilty and you, 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 you say in your heart, this is the only time. Nonsense. <laughs> but you, you console yourself because you're feeling guilty and you're praying while you're in the theater. I hope nobody from church is outside when I get out. <laughs> there was a season in my life many, many years ago. There was a family of priests. The priests. The priestly family. Real priests. Of church. They were priests. They watched movies, went to the theater, everything. 
Then one day when I opened my eyes after praying in another house, I saw them sitting there. And they said, we heard about you. Would you come and teach us once a week in our house? I said, of course, I've been praying open doors, Lord, open doors, strange city, strange place, open doors. And I taught. A year later, the person, the whole family changed. No more theaters, no more anything of the world. Everything changed. Everything changed. Entire, entire household changed. Okay, that's what God can do. God can do. Can change your life from inside out. Foundations changed. Entire household changed. Church changed. So I've been always my prayer. Lord, don't give me people. Give me pastors and priests. Because if you get a pastor, you get a church. Sometimes you get more than one church because they have two, three services. Get me, Lord, pastors to whom I can minister. You know, be very smart in your prayers. You will save a lot of time. Otherwise, you will go to six churches when you go, I can go to one man. And he will do your work for you. So there they were praying and singing hymns to God. Like I said, praying, singing and praising is protocol. We've ta- learned a lot about it. We'll still keep learning, but these are all part of our life. The new man's life. He thanks God. He praises God. Whatever is going through, because he, like his God, has seen the end from the beginning. And when you look at the end, there is only, only room to thank God and to praise God. But we will look at that one word. They were praying. In the midnight hour. The worst day of their life. Backs broken, chained, strange city, in the jail. What were they doing? They were praying. Get that order. Acts chapter 6. The disciples learned something. 6 and verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to what? Prayer. And the order has changed. We sometimes get the order wrong. We think we have to put the word first. Yes? But prayer first. Because if you don't pray, you will end up with your own interpretation. Why do you pray? So that you can hear God speak to you when you study your word. Why do you praise? Why do you worship? You are inviting the presence of God at that point in your life. That's how it begins. In the morning, it doesn't straight away begin with reading your Bible. It begins by praising God and worshipping God and praying. And then you go to the word, you will realize the word has Spoken to you. And you know what? The wind that was blowing yesterday has calmed down. Situation hasn't changed. The wind has calmed down. You are still. Because you know what? God is there. He is with you. His presence has come. So get that order right. They understand. We will continually give over to what? Prayer. And the ministry. Not the ministry of the word. And then come back and pray. No. Ministry or prayer first. And then the word. How does it mean to us? Pray first and study. Pray first and go to work. Pray, pray, get his presence in. Initially it will be difficult. I'm telling you, initially it will be difficult because God also tests you out whether you are serious or not. But after some time, you will realize it is not so difficult. His presence comes. Once his presence has come in the morning, you're good for that day. You're good for that. Doesn't matter what comes that day. You know you are good. You are good. So look at where prayer is put over there. And that same importance we have to give to our personal prayer life. 
we have to give it. Okay, the picture is there in the Old Testament, and the revelation in the New Testament, deliberately done by the by God. You know what it is? <coughs> in the Old Testament, you had the three that that temple or the uh, tabernacle was divided into three portions: the outer courts, holy place, and the most holy place. After courts, we know the altar of sacrifice and the labor. And in the holy place, there were three things: the table of shewbread, the menorah, and the altar of incense. Okay, and we need to realize. This is what you and the most holy place was from where God said I would speak. But the problem is nobody could go there to hear. Who could go there after Moses? Who has gone there? Nobody has gone there after Moses. Moses went there and gave us the law, and after that the law has burdened Israel. Nobody could go there. See, the high priest on the day of atonement is not going there to hear anything. He's running for his life after he sprinkled the blood. <laughs> but God made it very clearly, I will speak to you from there, but you cannot go. So how do you hear if you cannot go there? So every time God has to speak, God has to step out and speak to them. Nobody can go there. Imagine I put okay, like the notice I put over there. I put a notice here. Please, now you know what happens because I sit in that with that window open uh, and my earphones are on because I'll be listening to a message or listening to worship while I'm studying. What happens is all the drivers will come to the window. Pastor, I said, okay, sorry, I'll come and open the door. Okay, so if you cannot get in, what is the only solution? God has to step out, right? So in the Old Testament, you'll always see God stepping out because man cannot go. So He comes, He comes. The Lord appeared to Abraham. The Lord appeared to Isaac. The Lord, He is coming. They cannot go. Okay, they cannot go. New Testament by revelation, there is a difference in Hebrews 9 verse 4. How did he get it wrong? It is not wrong. This is revelation. This is talking of the most holy place. The golden censer, what is there in the most holy place? The golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid. How did the golden censer enter in the most holy place? How did it enter there? You know why? God said, you know what? You can pray. Can I come into my presence? You can pray and I will speak to you. He put prayer, that's our praise, our, our prayer, he put it right into the most holy place. Come boldly, confidently, the throne room of grace. What is God saying? Don't be old covenantal. If you sit in the holy place and study the word of God, you will get strength from the bread, you will get light, but it is not what I really want to give it to you. So I go to all these churches in Northeast and all, everybody has got the menorah sitting over there and saying, Amba, God said, come inside, they still want to stay outside. <laughs> so you need to understand how God has elevated prayer in the new covenant. He said, you can come. You can come and pray. You can come in. Nobody's stopping you. You're stopping yourself. I'm not stopping you. And I'm not only saying that, I'm telling you, you can come boldly. Lord, I am unrighteous. Yeah, but I am not looking at you. I am looking at you through my son. Come in, the blood of Jesus. So, the blood of Jesus, which gives us the righteousness of Christ, gives us the boldness. That's our prayer life. It's a paradigm shift. Anyone, everyone can come in. And God says, you will hear me speak. That's the new covenant. How is the loss be written in the heart? Through the Spirit. See, the new covenant, the old covenant difference is that we all don't need all the laws. The law I need is not the law you need. Hmm? 
to me he may write don't sleep to another one he will say sleep a little more cuz you don't sleep at all no to some he will say don't worry some he will say you are fearful and give you an appropriate scripture for everything our problems are not our struggles are not the same so we cannot have the written text and walk underneath you are in the holy place is still dependent upon yourself to receive something from god you are not dependent upon to give it to god freely that's why we need to see the difference the ark of the covenant is a revelation of god which is the word of god jesus christ is the ark or the father the son and the holy spirit whichever way you want to put it over there and you are allowed to come over there and pray praise me thank me pray i will speak to you from here i will speak to you and i will write my law in your hearts and your minds and you will hear no man will have to go and tell your brother teach know the lord you will all know me maybe at different levels but you will all know me and you can know me better prayer life has changed so the first thing that has to happen this year is change your prayer altar make time for it like if you want you can make time for anything whatever you like you make time for it right whatever you like you make time for it god says would you make time for it no one in the old testament had access to this and when you do pray god can do miracles and acts after 12 verses 1 to 4 about that time herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church he killed james the brother of john with the sword james is gone because he saw it pleased the jews he proceeded further to seize peter also now it was during the days of unleavened bread james is gone peter is going to go and john of the first three one is gone one is in prison only john is out when he arrested him and put him into prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him intending to bring him before the people after the passover next verse should have been and then he executed him but there bible says peter was therefore kept in prison but constant prayer was offered to god for him by the church what changed the situation the church started praying they started praying day and night they were praying you know what happened angelic intervention the angel went right through all the squads right into the prison tapped peter on the head change fell off one man see what god can do there are all the soldiers and there is peter all are practically sleeping peter is awake others are sleeping that's what god can do he can wake one man in this meeting today and give you the light while the others are still asleep and you touched him he woke up he thought he was dreaming a dream or a vision or something he went through all the gates brought him outside and left but what changed it what cost that change what was man's part in it church bread church bread the bread acts chapter 10 verse 9 how did the gospel go to the gentiles next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city peter went up on the house top to pray about the sixth hour now this is morning morning 6 o'clock It looks okay. Everywhere people, he said, you know what, he went to the rooftop. To pray. And what does he see? A vision that will change history. Has to be shown twice. What? God is going to save 
send the Spirit to the Gentiles too. You know why the gospel at this appointed time went to the Gentiles? Because one man went to pray. That's what I was asking today. I was telling yesterday. We all need to have a place to pray. Don't say I am in the city, therefore I don't have a place. Because you need a solitary place. Okay? And we all live in apartment complexes. And all apartment complexes have roofs. All apartment complexes. I'm not talking to the ladies. Be careful. Unless it's your own house. Don't go there. It's not a safe place to go early in the morning. But if you are a man, and you are in apartment complex, and you know your children are sleeping, or you're this thing, you know what you need to do. My wife really wakes up late. I don't wake her up ever. I tiptoe through the house. I don't wake her up at least. Today I woke her up early around 6.45. At 3.30 I was on the terrace. Who's going to disturb? There's nobody there. You can worship, you can dance, you can sing, you can pray. Everything. God has given us a rooftop. If Peter could go to a rooftop, what is stopping us from going to the rooftop? Not you are going higher to God. You are just looking for a place where you don't disturb the others in the house. Because each one has their own discipline, their own times. You don't have to, okay, I am going to pray. I am going to wake everybody up. No, don't do that. You will be miserable, they will be even more miserable. You don't have to do any of those things. I am talking about a personal time with God. What happens when he goes to the rooftop to pray? He sees a vision. He sees a vision. So, church prayed, angelic intervention. Peter prays. He sees a vision that takes the gospel. What is a vision? A vision is basically giving you direction for your life. You want direction for your life? Go and pray in the morning. Have set times to pray. It doesn't matter where you are. It does not matter where you are. You can always find a place to pray. All the girls in Jesus, you can pray. Jyoti has access to the office. You have your study room. You have the other apart. If you really want to pray, you can pray. The boys, if they want to pray, you have your roof. There's nothing and nobody stopping you other than yourself. Once you start worshipping, and today it is so, so easy. Because there's power. We, we, we can't sing like Priyanka and Abel and Peter. and We can't sing that. That's not the key. But I can tell you, I can give you a run for your money when it comes to worship. Not in singing. It's a curse over my life that I cannot, it's not that I cannot sing. Ask Renny. I can sing. She knows me as a teenager when she used to come to my house. I can sing movie songs and I can sing very well. Right, Freddy? That's my curse. I can sing movie songs. Hindi, Malayalam, Tamil, I can sing them all. But when I try to sing God's songs, I still struggle. Therefore, what I do, I put it on, consciously choose to sing along with those who are worship leaders. These are gadgets given for our age. So that God can have the best in the last days. Go up there, put it on, worship along. Powerful worship leaders are there. Worship along. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you are ready. You feel the presence of God coming in. And you are able to just worship God in the spirit. You can pray in tongues if you are baptized. You pray 30 minutes, 40 minutes. You come down, you sit with your word. God starts speaking. It is not difficult. It is not difficult. And you know what? God gives you direction for your life. You know what we struggle? We struggle because we do not know what to do. 
don't know what to do. But here is a God who says, I will guide my people. You will hear, you will see. You will hear and see. You know, once you've got direction, how easy it is. I know. I know. You know? Okay, that's it. Lord, what do you want me to do? Go to the city, it will be told to you. Okay, he told me to go to the city, he will tell me. Well, I will sit in the city. No, the Bible says he was praying. What is Saul doing? He was praying. He told me what he will do too. What is my part? Pray. What is his part? He will tell me. That's what he told Ananias. Go. Behold, that man is praying. The question is, can God give you a vision? Can God give you a dream? Can God send you an angelic intervention? Can God send a man of God to you if you don't pray? There are multiple ways in which God intervenes. I know angelic interventions in my life. When people just come to me, change my life around in a difficult situation, and I never see them again. And I realize, God says, I said, Lord, who is this man? I want to thank you. He said, it's not, it was not a man. It was not a man. And they come as strange people. They come as coolies. I'm stuck in a railway station at morning or night. I forgot many, many years ago. And I got, I got my kids with me. And you know your train is late and it's a peak summer season. You have to reach your destination. There's no ticket available, nothing available. They will just sign and say, no, try on your own. Nothing available. You're stuck like that. And I said, Lord, help me, Lord. I need to reach home. And I got my kids with me. A coolie comes, walks to me and says, sir, what's problem? Heck yeah. I said, no. Ticket, I said, give me your ticket. And he comes back an hour later and said, Sir, you ticket to train He said, Night this train. I said, Thank you. You know what happened? That's interesting. That's the only time I saw, I think, an angel twice, same day. He disappears. And I go to get into the train and I realize, Oh my gosh, I forgot to take the ticket back from the Kuli. What do I do? I'm standing in the kuli comes back. Train is coming at seven or eight in the night. Five minutes before the train comes, kuli comes down. Sir, aapki ticket. And he goes. He goes. There is a God who is willing to intervene in your lives. If you believe. Impossible becomes possible with him. What is impossible with man is possible with God. But the key factor in our life, Lord, restore my prayer closet. Restore. Restore. Lord, I, I, I consecrate myself to this purpose. I will repair my altar. I will restore. Okay. I will bring order back into my life. That's what he did. Twelve stones. Order back. You can just build an altar like that. Bring order back. You need to have order. You cannot randomly go, oh Lord, sorry, today I am late. Can we meet? Have a set time. Okay, set time. Have order. Because that's the, that's the thing. The wood had to be kept in order. The animal had to be cut and put in order. One of the first things of the sacrifice rules in the book of Leviticus is order. Have an altar. Have order. Have order. Okay. And say, Lord, Elijah dug a trench and filled with water. Lord, you know what? I don't have tears. You can cause me to weep at your altar. 
I will drench the sacrifice. I am leaving it to you. Some people can cry easily. Some people cannot cry easily. But are you dependent upon your strength or his strength? I mean, go to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. See the altar. The most powerful altar. Why did he always look for solitary places? Because this is how he prayed. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, how? With vehement Christ and tears. The son of man is crying while he's praying. Son of man is crying while he's praying. And God will give you tears. He will give you tears. He can wet the altar. He will. You do your part. God will do his part. He will give you the tears. You wet the altar. And what are you asking for first? You are not asking for rain. You are asking for fire. That's the first thing that came. Lord, consume. First, consume everything in my life. Little by little. One instant. Whichever way, Lord. There is flesh. There is wood. There is stone. There is dust. There is water. Would you just burn it all off, Lord? And then set me on fire. I want to come back to my first love. Would you restore my consecration? Restore my consecration, Lord. I don't want to go keep going back to the world because you said don't. I want to be renewed in my mind. These are all decisions we make which God does then through us. He will not override our will. What can I do with my will? I can make supplications with my will. That's why the Bible says prayers is asking from God. Supplication is your surrender. What does supplicate actually mean? It means to fall prostrate on your face. You are making your surrender. Lord, I want my mind renewed. I don't want to conform in the ways of the world. Lord, this is why you supplicate. God says, I will. I will. I will. I will, I will. And you suddenly realize, you know what? My life is changing. My life is changing. God has started repairing my altar. Once the fire has done its work on the altar, the rain can come. The rain can come. Why? The rain won't destroy me anymore. Altar is there. God's fire has fallen upon me. And now, the blessing won't destroy me. It won't destroy. Otherwise, the blessing will destroy you. The blessing. Because you don't have the maturity to handle. Handle the blessing. You cannot handle what God is giving you. Because you are not prepared for that. So we have to look at all these things. And as we come, okay, we will see through the Bible as we close with prayer. Okay, All kinds of intervention. What can prayer do? Look at the first time God asked a man to pray. I'm not saying others did not pray, but recorded. Genesis. Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants, and then they bore children. Couldn't God do it directly? Let me ask you this question. Did God speak to Abimelech directly? Yes. Yes. Don't touch that man's wife. You and your wife. Whole Khandan is in trouble. That's my man, and that's my girl. He said, I did not know. I did it by mistake. God says, yeah, I know you did it by mistake. Now, he's my prophet. Ask him to pray for you. Did you see God always wants a human vessel? The God who gave Abimelech a dream did not say in the dream, if you return that man's wife, I will heal all your people and open their wombs. He didn't. He tell that man to pray. 
Then I will heal. And the Bible says Abraham prayed and God healed. Do you know what pray can do? You pray and God heals. You pray, somebody gets a dream. You pray, somebody gets a direction. You pray, somebody gets a vision. You pray, somebody gets a promotion. You pray, somebody gets a... God says, you have become my channel. We sing that song, right? Channels only, blessed master. Channels only, blessed master. That's the whole thing, whole purpose. Lord, I am a channel of blessing. So, Oh, there's still a few more verses. Let's finish. Okay? Are you tired? I am not tired. James chapter 15, 5 and verse 13. If anyone affirm you suffering, are you suffering? Are you afflicted? Okay, they will use the term affliction. Is anyone among you afflicted? Afflicted? Are you afflicted? If you're afflicted, God says, did you pray? What is the solution for affliction? Pray. Is anyone among you afflicted? Let him pray. Answer to affliction is pray. It doesn't matter the state of your affliction or the place of your affliction. God can answer you. The most interesting scenario of a man who's afflicted and the place he prays from is found in the Old Testament, Jonah chapter 2. And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Did you see that? Where is Jonah praying from? Nobody after and before Jonah has prayed from the fish's belly. You can't get worse than this. Read further. He said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me after the belly of... He said, I'm dead, I'm gone, I'm finished, I'm still alive. But it's grave for me. I cried and you heard my... Voice. Then he will give graphic description. As he went in the fish's belly, he will give you about the diet. The water surrounded me, even to my soul. That means he drank a lot of water. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped. You know what whales eat? They eat seaweed. We are thinking it's a whale. There are some big fishes that eat seaweed. And he went in right in the mid. He thought he was caught in a net. He was caught in the weed. In the mouth of the... And he went down with the weed. Water surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings. Moorings mean foundations. Meaning the whale went down. The f- we are saying whale, whale. It's not written whale. Whatever fish it was. Okay? It went down to the bottom of the sea. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Can you go lower than this? I'm talking about physically. You will say, oh, I have no place to pray. You think Jonah had a place to pray? Okay. And next verse, 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. My prayer went up to you into your holy temple. From where to where did the prayer go? Okay. God says, it's all in my word. People in their affliction, the most impossible situations, the most impossible places have prayed. And what did I do? What did God do? The next verse. The Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah onto a dry land. In the name of Jesus, I speak to every fish 
that had swallowed you to spit you out to God's destiny for you. The fishes that have swallowed you. You were called by God, set apart by God, sent by God, but you went in another direction. And you have been swallowed by your circumstances. But today, if you pray, the Lord says, you will be spat out and you will be right back on course. And he will restore the ears the locusts have eaten. Do you know how many miles it is from Joppa to Nineveh? 735 miles. If you go by ship, it will take you weeks and months. In three days, he reached his destination because God gave him his time back because he prayed. Whatever situation has swallowed you, cause you were not in the direction God wanted you to go. It was so easy because things all seemed to be falling into place. But deep inside you know, this is not where God wanted me to go. And suddenly you realize I have been swallowed up. The Bible says, he did not speak to Jonah. He spoke to his situation. Spoke to his situation. Spoke to the fish. The fish vomited him onto dry land. And when he got out, he knew he was where God wanted him to be. Not where he wanted to be. That's how God speeds up. I told you yesterday, one of the way your time is given back is by he presses on the pedal. Presses on the pedal. What should have taken you three weeks, four weeks, five, if the wind is favorable. Mm-hmm. Not contrary. Yes. When the wind was contrary, in six hours they went three miles. We are not talking about three miles. We are talking about 725 or 35 miles. If the wind is contrary, how far will you go? Where do you want to go? Three days he reached. There he paid a fare. Here it was free. What God can do. Understand. Understand how God does things. First Kings 18.46 and we shall stop there. Understand what he means so he will restore. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. King's horses. When Samaria was in famine, he sent people so that his horses would be safe. King's horses are not ordinary horses. They are the best. And they can run. Chariots run faster than horses because it's two horses, three or four, two horses for a man to outpace a chariot. What is God telling you? How I will give you years back. Elijah, for three and a half years, you sat there doing nothing. You are saying, Lord, what is this? You call me to serve you. Nothing has happened. Anointing is there. Nobody to preach to. No ministry to do. Nothing to do. Three and a half years have just gone by. God says, I will speed you. What you have meant to do in ten years, I can cause you to finish in one year. That's what the anointing, the hand of God, is the anointing of God. The anointing of God. What the hand of God upon your life. Maybe you are in your job. 15 years you've been struggling for a promotion. Hand of God comes upon you. Suddenly you see your catapulted to the top. What happened? It was God. 
out of the pit, the Bible says, suddenly Joseph was pulled out, shaved, bathed, new girl, standing before the king. You want to understand, go study the Indian system. We have something called the Indian civil services. Entry level, what do you become? Maximum you can become in, in let us say, Telangana is chief secretary. Very few people become. How many years does it take you to become chief secretary? The real powerful guy. Somashekar Reddy. GAD, secretary. He's the one who sends the circulars and they go around finding everybody. Does he come to find? No. One signature on behalf of the governor of Telangana, Somashekar Reddy. He signs one this thing. All the cops are on the road. Why? How did he reach there? How many years did it take him to reach there? One day from the prison, governor of Egypt, because God speeded him up. One day. Why? The hand of God was upon him. This is what anointing does. This is how the prayer closet changes your life. One day it can change. One hour life can change. One night Israel was out. How many years were their slaves? 450. One night they were out. How many years was in the dungeon? 13 years. One day. Not a free man. The most powerful man. The king said, other than me, everything is in your hands. That's how promotion comes. And you suddenly realize, my ears have come back. He has given to me. That's what he told Paul. Don't worry. You don't worry. You will stand before kings. Stand before kings. Preaching to an ordinary man and preaching to a king are two different things. Preaching to an ordinary man, you bring him into the kingdom. Preaching to a king, you change policy. You change policy. Change policy. That's what God is talking about. How I can change your life. What is to come under my hand. Come under that anointing. Come into your prayer closet and I will change. The final two verses of that man who came out of the pit and we shall pray. Genesis 41. Jesus called his name Manasseh. For God has made me forget. 13 years of forgotten. Forgot. 13 years of forgot. Forgot. Completely forgot. My affliction has been forgot. I'm governor. I got a good wife. I got a baby. I've forgotten all my pain. We tell you, all of those who are struggling in your marriages, really, really listening online, struggling in your marriages. If you trust God, you go into your prayer closet and cry out. Maybe it was 13 years of misery in your marriage. In one year, you will forget that misery when God restores. One year. This year he can restore. You won't remember it anymore. It will be all gone. Not only that, he named the second one. Because not only God has made me forget, he has made me fruitful. Actually, Ephraim means double fruitfulness. He made me fruitful. In the land of affliction, he made me fruitful. In the land of affliction. Do you know what God can do? Can do. You know when all this happens? The hand of God comes upon your life. Hand of God comes upon your life. Do you know where it comes upon your life? You meet him in the prayer closet. You meet him in the prayer closet. So this morning, eighth day, it's a good day. Eight means new beginnings. Let us give ourselves 
over. Say, Lord, help me to build a prayer according to your timings. I'm not putting any rules for you. If you are a man and you have a regular shift, nine to five kind of a job, make it early morning. If you are on a shift job, then accordingly. If you are a woman with small children, accordingly. Okay. Okay. If you are a working mother, accordingly. If you are a non-working mother, accordingly. Go to God. Because, see, the God we go to, the good thing is that, Jesus says, this is how we have to pray. Oh, most exalted and almighty God. God. No, finish. He says, no, our Father. Okay. It's a simple thing to go to your father today and say, Daddy, between you and me, what time do you think is convenient for me? You know me better than I know myself. You know I am indisciplined. I tell one thing, do another thing. You know everything about me. But Lord, I really want to surrender. So Lord, can you tell me a time that is good for us? I will meet you. I will meet you. Okay. And reorder your life. You can't reorder like mine. My life is different. Your life is different. I say. You ask me why do I sleep in the afternoon? Because it's the most unproductive hours of my life. I can't do anything after 12 in the afternoon. I can't do anything. Ah. It's the worst. Worst time. So what do you do? Uh, the worst time in your life, what do you want to give it to? Give it to your bed. Your life is different. My life and your life. You can't, if you're going to work and you sleep in your office, they'll smack you and ask another job. I'm telling you, find which is, you can work out, workable. If you don't go flesh-wise, go with God and say, Lord, I'm setting this apart and I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to serve you. I want to dedicate myself. I am going to repair that altar. Stone by stone by stone. I'm going to put it back. I'm going to bring order into my life. And offer myself on that altar as a living sacrifice. God says, I will renew your mind. I will speak to you. You will know my good, pleasing and perfect will. And you will realize, I am good. And God is with me. Shall we pray? Father, this morning, Father, we just thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. No, Lord, it has been long. But, Father, it's a new year, a new beginning, new consecration, new dedication. We want to give you everything, Lord. We want to give you everything, Lord. And I pray, Father, there will be a speeding in the lives of some people. They will not moan for the lost years. You will birth in their spirit. A manasa and an Ephraim. That they will forget the toil and the labor and the pain and the tears. Not only that, Lord, they will suddenly see God bringing increase into their lives. Oh, Jesus. Birth is in our lives, Lord. You want to forget the wasted years. We want to forget the lost years. We want to forget the painful years. But we don't want to stop there. We want to be fruitful now, Lord. In the land of affliction. This world is the land of affliction. He said you will have much trouble, tribulation in this world. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. In this land of affliction, we want to be fruitful. Not then, but now. Not in the eternity, but now. We want to be fruitful. Because we do not want to come to you with empty hands. We want to flood those altar with tears.
cry out to you. Because your word said those who sow in tears shall bring in the sheaves with rejoicing. So our tears will never be wasted. Because the hour of rejoicing will come. Many a day and night when no one saw him, Joseph must have wept himself to sleep. Young teenager, beaten, bruised, chains around his neck, legs. The tears he wept, no one saw, only you saw. But one day, he would bring in the sheaves and become a father to his father, a father to his brothers, and a father to our nation. Even the Pharaoh said, he's a father to me. Pray, Father, change our life, change our direction. For there is nothing impossible with thee. The God of impossible is for at the midnight hour you will deliver us. At the midnight hour we will praise you. We will pray and you will shake the foundations. Fling open every door. Every chain shall come off. Not only of ours but all those you have placed around us. Every chain shall come off and there shall be salvation in that place. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. The rest of the day, the worship practice, not just practice, let it be worship. And the Q&A, all into the hands. And I pray, Father, tomorrow, give us the liberty to gather. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Bless everyone here and who's listening in your name. Let there be divine interventions in their lives. Healing, deliverance, visions, dreams, angelic intervention. Whatever their need is, you meet them at the point of need. For you have not changed, O Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you.